will be in Lesson 6, page 25. Does anyone need one of these books? Anybody need our book? Everybody got a book? Going once, going twice? All right. And does anyone have a Bible memory verse you want to try out on us? All right, Joyce. Amen. All right, wrong. Yes, ma'am. And every high thing. Second Corinthians ten five. Good. All right, somebody else? Anybody? Yes, ma'am. Amen. All right. Anybody else? All right, Ron, you're the guy, so I'll have you distribute the goods and you even earned one today. Of course I didn't look up Psalm one sixteen to see if that's really in there. But I'll take your word for it. All right, page 25, lesson six. If you read the book of Hebrews, you can get a lot out of it, but you get a whole lot more out of it if you realize how much it goes. It, it refers back to the rest of the Bible in the Old Testament. And so as we read Hebrews chapter 11, we're reading what they call the hall of faith. Hebrews 11 is just kind of the hall of faith or the hall of fame of the Old Testament saints. And what you see here... <clears throat> is a lot of Old Testament history being laid out pretty much in chronological order. So we had Abraham, then we had his son Isaac, and now we have his grandson Jacob. And the next week will be Joseph. And so in verse 21 of Hebrews 11, it says, By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, thank you. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshiped, leaning upon the top of his staff. So again, we see, Another just a one-liner versus Abraham who had so many verses about him. And yet this one-liner, this one verse in verse 21, Jacob, his faith, all right? Uh, Jacob's faith is exercised here at the end of his life. Now, if you read Jacob, there's a lot of stuff that's not very impressive about Jacob. And uh, it's like, wow, Jacob, wow. you know. But he, he got it figured out towards the end of his life. And uh, as he was dying, it was probably one of the stellar times of his life where he really kind of had a more wisdom and more, um, a, a more calm, calmness about him and, and trust and faith in, in his life. Um, it was after he realized Joseph was still alive. He thought that Joseph was dead, that his sons had probably bumped him off, and they thought they did too. And so probably he, it was just a rekindling and a real... Uh, resurgence of confidence in God's plan when he realized Joseph was not dead and God was using Joseph for great things. And so all the family's back together and they're down in Egypt, but but uh, he knew that that wasn't going to be the end of them 
becoming Egyptians. Uh, and so faith in, of Jacob, faith in God that Jacob had, we see it towards the end. And that's the verse that Mrs. Spear quoted just a minute ago. And it says, mark the perfect man and behold the upright for the end of that man is peace. And if I have a choice to die well or, or start well, I'd much rather die well. I'd much rather end good. And uh, that's encouraging for all of us because uh, no matter how much we've messed things up, you're not dead yet. So you still have an opportunity to end well. And Jacob Boy, there's a lot of years of his life that's not real impressive, but he ended well. And what he did in the end of his life is interesting, just like it was last week when we talked about Isaac. Uh, and now we talk about Jacob, both of them recognizing God's plan in the future concerning which son. Remember, Isaac uh, chose uh, Jacob over Esau, even though Isaac personally would rather have had Esau. He recognized God's plan in it. And now we see Jacob doing something interesting with Joseph's sons. Ephraim and Manasseh. We're going to see that here in a minute. So um, finishing our earthly life strong. Boy, I, I hope that's your desire. You want to finish well. Everybody in here can raise their hand and say, yeah, I didn't always do things the right way, but I sure would like to end well. And uh, so you connect Psalm 37, 37 uh, about the end of that man is peace with this verse in Hebrews eleven twenty one, And uh, by faith, Jacob, when he was dying. And so the upright man is the one who is living with the ruling presence of Jesus Christ. What we see at the end of Jacob's life, much like his father Isaac, is he finally uh, resigned himself and recognized and settled on the fact that God knows best and that God's in charge and I should have been trusting him all this time and I wasn't. But now he's completely at rest in what God's plan is and he's trusting God. And so the ruling presence of Jesus Christ in their life, the end of that man is peace. What a wonderful promise that is. And um, the box says, for the child of God, his last day on earth will be his greatest day. On that day, he will see the Lord Jesus and praise the Lord for that. The box, or the, excuse me, the, the last paragraph says, be, become strong in the Lord in the inner man. Seek God's blessing upon your life, his provision for your pilgrimage. We have every confidence that when we, meet the Lord at the end we shall have victory by faith so learn to live by faith learn to walk by faith and to live a life of faith that says back in verse 6 of Hebrews 11 without faith it's impossible to please him so if you want to really be at rest and at peace with your own heart just learn to please God and how do you do that live by faith don't just live by sight don't just do what everybody else does Learn to walk by faith and be challenged in your life. No matter what faith victories you've had yesterday, learn to walk by faith in new ones today and let God challenge you and, and grow you and, and mature you and give you uh, even stronger faith than you had before. And then when you die, you'll be someone full of faith. And that should be our desire uh, ultimately. So we got three points again today, starting on page 26. Jacob recognized God's presence. By faith, Jacob recognized God's presence in his life. <clears throat> Towards the end of his life, you start to realize, you can see it as you're reading the, the book of Genesis, and you read uh, Genesis about chapter 20, 24 or 26, all the way into uh, the end of Genesis, almost, I mean the very last chapter. You read a lot of Jacob. And what you see for many of those chapters is Jacob's not really trusting God. He's kind of planning things and scheming and conniving and making deals and uh, and uh, tricking his dad and tricking his brother and, and doing all kinds of stuff. And, and, and Jacob's not really just living by faith. He's kind of, he's a smart guy 
and he's and he's figuring himself out and doing things but he had a wrestling match with jesus and uh, it messed up his thigh and he walked with a limp for the rest of his life and uh and that started to slow him down and, and then he lost his favorite son joseph thought he was dead broke his heart um and uh, things started to change in jacob's life but as you as you get to the end of his life you you start to see that he's starting to talk about god more and he's starting to be a little quieter and a little more uh calm and and uh letting god lead and direct his path and so um we'll be dealing with this ourselves discerning god's presence and knowing god's work as opposed to man's work uh recognizing and this is for me this is huge when i can see god doing something and I'm not making it happen. Wow. There's so much contentment in that, knowing that God's doing it. And on the other hand, when I'm trying to make it happen, when I'm trying to force it, you know, I'm trying to make it work out, there's never the contentment that it's really God's will because I'm forcing it. And and we ought to just stop and say, if it's God's will, why am I making this? Why am I working so hard? <laughs> why am I trying to make this happen? <clears throat> uh, I mean, why why can't I just trust the Lord? And so... I love it when, when God says, hey, step aside and let me do it. And, uh, and I step aside and I realize I can't do it. And then I realize he can do it way better than I can do it. And Jacob was learning that. And just like we all have to. And so we have to recognize the Lord's hand in all things. And, but why does God allow us to make such fools of ourselves? Because we learn stuff from that. You know, that's how we learn. And it humbles us. And then in, and through humility, we can get grace. And we learn our lessons and Jacob learned a lot of lessons in his life see Jacob <clears throat> we talked about it last week he fooled his dad Isaac lied to him fooled him and uh, <clears throat> and then what happened not very many years later he thought he was marrying Rachel and somebody pulled a switcheroo on him and under the veil it was Leah the older girl apparently the not so pretty girl and uh it was like he was reaping what he was sowing and and uh he was finding out that birthrights can come back to haunt you and and things like that and but he was learning and god was teaching him some things so jacob was a man who faced many disappointments Uh, he ended up marrying two sisters not a real good idea i mean marrying two women is one thing but marrying two sisters has got to be worse Uh, fighting with each other all the time and what what and so Jacob faced many disappointments. He never did see his mother again. Remember, she said there in Genesis, she said, you know, just go for a while, but stay with my my brother Laban, and then when the coast is clear, you can come home. By the time he came home, she was she was dead because he'd been gone for twenty some years. Um, he made a lot of mistakes and he had a lot of disappointments. In Genesis forty two thirty six, when <clears throat> when he thought Joseph was dead. And he thought that they were going to starve to death. And he sends his other sons, his ten older sons, to Egypt to try to buy food. And, the, and there's this mean prime minister of Egypt who's second in command of the whole world. And he doesn't know it's his own son. Says, nope, you got to leave one of your sons with me because I don't trust you. And now I want you to send back your youngest son, which was Joseph's real brother. Joseph wanted to see if they treated him right. They wanted to see if Benjamin was still alive. And Jacob, when they come back and say, Dad, they're not going to let us have any more food unless we take Benjamin. And he says, all these things are against me. I'm just such a poor one. I don't want Benjamin to go. I don't trust him to be safe and, you know, blah, blah, blah. 
As we read the Bible, we learn that God appeared to Jacob five times, and every time God appeared to him, it was for correction. But in the end of his life, he wasn't needing correction, and what we're going to ultimately read about in Genesis 48 um, was something that God never corrected him for. He was doing the right thing. He was, he was in tune with God. He was in the same frequency as God, and he wasn't doing his own thing this time. So let's go to Genesis 48 and see some things about Jacob he he mentions back in 32 chapter 32 where he wrestled with the angel all right and uh, it does not say Jesus in chapter 32 but there's so much evidence and so much hints there so many different hints that it's obvious that it is the Lord Jesus Christ and one uh, one other obvious hint is it says in verse 16 I'm just picking up in the middle of it but Jacob says, the angel which redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads. The capital A, angel, see that? That's not just any old angel from heaven. That is the that is the message, that is Jesus in the Old Testament, referring back to chapter 32. And <clears throat> normally angels don't redeem humans, but this one could because he is Jesus, he could redeem. And uh, I believe that when the angel gave Jacob his name Israel, he was literally giving him his name Israel. Jesus' name is Israel. And so Jacob speaks specifically of the Lord as the angel who appeared to him. He stands on the threshold of eternity looking back across his life. He's about to die soon. That's why he's talking with Joseph. And he says, now I can see that it was God who appeared to me to redeem me, to deliver me. Every time there was something disastrous in my life, it was God who intervened. By faith, Jacob recognized the presence of God. He didn't recognize the presence of God in the early years. Jacob did not recognize the presence of God those early years. Can, Bob, can you give a book to these guys that just came in? In the early years, Jacob didn't recognize God's hand, and so Jacob tried to make things happen his way, and that's what happens. Thanks, sir. Um, in the early years, Jacob wasn't trusting God to make sure that Jacob got the blessing. Jacob had to lie and steal and cheat and and, uh, force it to happen. But now in the end, we see that Jacob's recognizing God's presence here. And uh, we read earlier that Jacob was a man who faced many disappointments. I love this about being a Christian. Here's what I love about being a Christian. Disappointments are God's appointments. If you're a Christian and you were planning on something that didn't happen, guess what? God was not shocked. God was not shocked like you were. Okay? Disappointments are God's appointments. God allows things to happen. If God didn't want a disappointment in your life to happen, guess what? It wouldn't. And so disappointments are really God's appointments. He allows us to have disappointments because he's got something else going on. He's got a different way to make it happen if it's supposed to happen. Or he's got a test and a lesson he wants us to learn. So Jacob, in the end of his life, when he's he's much older now, he's about to die. He's sitting on his deathbed, basically, and he's talking to his son Joseph. And his son Joseph has his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, there. And Manasseh was the firstborn, Ephraim was the secondborn. Manasseh means forget, and Ephraim means fruitful. And without going back and reading in the previous chapters, when Joseph had these two boys, 
the oldest Manasseh was called Manasseh because the name means forget. And Joseph said, the Lord has made me forget. Basically, I'll paraphrase. The Lord has made me forget all the issues. The Lord has made me forget all those things in my life that were a real pain. And so he named his son, forget. I want to forget some stuff. The second son he named fruitful because God was using Joseph to be fruitful and to save uh, the world, really, through food from starvation. So Jacob recognized God's presence. And now we're going to see, secondly, on page 26, Jacob rested in God's promise. Man, there's so much relaxation in here. There's something, I mean, you can have a stressful life, but if your inward is at rest, it makes all the difference in the world. If you're at peace on the inside, and Jacob, he had a lot of restlessness and a lot of things that just weren't good, but he was learning and had learned to rest in God's promise. And so, as I told you uh, about forgetting fruitful, those two boys, we're going to see some things here. God made a promise, and Jacob knew that God would keep his promise. Notice what Jacob says in the closing days of his life, and we'll start in chapter 47 and verse 27, and we're going to go all the way to chapter 48, verse 11. So Genesis chapter 47, verse 27. And Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt in the country of Goshen. And they had possessions therein and grew and multiplied exceedingly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the whole age of Jacob was 140 and 7 years. And the time drew nigh that Israel must die. And he called his son Joseph and said unto him, If now I have found grace in thy sight, put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh, and deal kindly and truly with me. Bury me not, I pray thee, in Egypt. But I will lie with my fathers, and thou shalt carry me out of Egypt, and bury me in their burying place. And he said, I will do as thou hast said. And he said, Swear unto me. And he swore unto him. And Israel bowed himself upon the bed's head. Chapter 48, verse 1. And it came to pass after these things that one told Joseph, Behold, thy father is sick. And he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And one told Jacob, saying, said, Behold, thy son Joseph cometh unto thee. And Israel strengthened himself and sat upon the bed. And Jacob said unto Joseph, God Almighty appeared unto me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. And said unto me, Behold, I will make thee fruitful, and I will multiply thee, and I will make of thee a multitude of people, and I will give thee this land to thy seed after thee for an everlasting possession. That's why he said, Don't bury me here in Egypt. And now thy two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, which were born unto thee in the land of Egypt before I came unto thee into Egypt, are mine. As Reuben and Sibion, they shall be mine. And that's why when you read the list of the tribes of Israel, it usually includes Ephraim and Manasseh instead of Joseph. It usually doesn't say the name of Joseph. Verse 6, And thy issue which thou begettest after them shall be thine, and shall be called after the name of their brethren in their inheritance. And as for me, when I came from Padan, Rachel, that was Joseph's mother, the one that Jacob initially wanted to marry in the beginning, the younger sister, Rachel died by me in the land of Canaan in the way, when there was yet but a little way to come unto Ephrath, and I buried her there in the way of Ephrath. The same is Bethlehem. See the connections to the future here? And Israel beheld Joseph's sons and said, Who are these? And Joseph said unto his father, They are my sons, whom God hath given me in this place. And he said, Bring them, I pray thee, unto me, and I will bless them. Now the eyes of Israel, Jacob, 
were dim for age, so that he could not see. And he brought them near unto him, and he kissed them, and embraced them. And Israel said unto Joseph, I had not thought to see thy face. I never thought I'd see you again. And lo, God hath showed me also thy seed. Not only do I get to see my son again, I get to see my grandsons. And Joseph brought them out from between his knees, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand, toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand, toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near unto him. And Israel stretched out his right hand, and laid it upon Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand upon Manasseh's head, guiding his hands wittingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. We'll stop there. So Joseph purposely, on his right hand, had probably right on top of Ephraim's head, and on his left hand, right on top of Manasseh's head, which, standing opposite to his father, would have made Ephraim's head head, to line up with Jacob's left hand, and the right hand of Jacob to fall under Manasseh's head, because Manasseh was the oldest, and Manasseh should be the firstborn, and the right hand should be on the firstborn. And the Bible says, if you read what the Bible says there, it doesn't say it, but it's obvious what Jacob did. He crossed his arms. He just went like that. Now it says he's old, he can't see very well, but he 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 knew what Joseph probably was going to do. I mean, that's just natural. Put your put your oldest one, make sure he's the firstborn and he's got the right hand blessing. And Jacob purposely crosses arms on purpose. So what's going on? What's this all about? Jacob gave instruction that when he died, they were not to bury him in Egypt. He knew God was going to bring them out of Egypt. Top of page 27. <clears throat> we're going to read now verses 14 all the way to the end of the chapter. So let's keep reading. And we'll read. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it upon Ephraim's head. That means he crossed his arms. And crisscrossed, vice versa. Verse 15. And he blessed Joseph and said, God, before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac did walk, the God which fed me all my life long unto this day, the angel, that's Jesus, which wrestled with him back in chapter 32, the angel which redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads, and let my name be named on them, and the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. And all of a sudden, in the middle of this, <clears throat> in the middle of Jacob blessing Joseph and his two sons, Verse 17, and when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand upon the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. And he held up his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head onto Manasseh's head. And Joseph said unto his father, not so, my father, for this is the firstborn. Put thy right hand upon his head. Oh, no, the old guy is so senile. He doesn't know what he's doing. Grabs his arm. Dad, stop, stop. You got the wrong hand on the wrong head. And verse 18, and Joseph said to his father, not so. Verse 19, and his father refused and said, I know it, my son, I know it. I know what I'm doing. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great, Manasseh. But truly his younger brother Ephraim shall be greater than he, and he's, his seed shall become a multitude of nations, not just a multitude of Israelites but a multitude of nations. And he blessed them that day, <clears throat> saying, In thee shall Israel bless, saying, God make thee as Ephraim and as Manasseh. And he set Ephraim before Manasseh. And ever since then, and when you read those two names together, Ephraim always comes before Manasseh. 
And Israel said unto Joseph, Behold, I die, but God shall be with you and bring you again unto the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to thee one portion above thy brethren, which I took out of the hand of an Amorite with my sword and with my bow. So let's read here in page 27. Joseph positioned his son so that the right hand of Jacob would be placed on his eldest son and his left hand would be placed on the younger son. And we find that an amazing thing happened and this was a great challenge to the faith of Jacob. He crossed his hand so that his right hand was placed on the younger Ephraim and his left hand was placed on the firstborn Manasseh. God revealed to Jacob that Ephraim would be the dominant tribe and as Jacob was dying, he was resting in the promise of God. He knew God was going to keep his word. There's a lot of things we can pull out of this. I heard a sermon preached once. I think it was a good sermon. I remembered it just because of the fact. You know, all of us have tragedy in our life. All of us have things that are just a bitter remembrance. So we understand why Joseph named his firstborn forget. Because every one of us in here have stuff we'd like to forget. Now that I've talked about it, you're starting to remember it again. Sorry. just in a very practical way Jacob forgets not his exciting name but fruitful that's an exciting name I don't want to lay all the firstborn birthright on forget I don't want to emphasize the, just the forget because just the idea of forget lends itself to forget what but let's talk about fruitful right and it's good and the sermon was, it's good to give birth to forget so that you can be fruitful, all right? In other words, we have to forgive and forget so that we can go on and be fruitful. There's one aspect to this, one illustration there. And so Jacob is making a bigger deal about fruitful than forget. Because if we just dwell on what we forgot, we're not going to forget it. We have to go on and be fruitful and multiply and move forward. And Jacob could see the future somehow he understood some things i don't know how much he understood but he understood some things and this this what happened here is very prophetic and i'm going to get a little bit deep and i don't mean to lose you by getting too deep here but what you'll find when you read the old testament is is that something horrible happened something terrible happened it was in the book of second kings after david was king and died and then solomon was king and died the kingdom was given to Rehoboam, Solomon's son. And during Rehoboam's kingdom, Rehoboam being a, a real dingling and not very mature, not very wise, Rehoboam was so hard on the people and, and, and so unwilling to listen to reason that he, and tried to tax the people that it split the kingdom. And so during the days of Rehoboam, the kingdom, the nation of Israel, the 12 tribes split and two and a half tribes went south and became Judah. And the ten tribes went into the north section and became Israel. And so a lot of times in the Old Testament, you'll read about Judah and Israel. And so then what you'll find is, is that in the northern tribes of Israel, you'll never really see a good king. They never really had a good king. They they had... they. The first king, I think it was Jeroboam, he thought, boy, we gotta do, we're going to have to have a different temple because if, if, all the tw- if the ten tribes go back to Jerusalem and worship at the, the real temple, 
it's going to be so sentimental they're going to want to merge back in. And I don't want that. I want to keep this kingdom thing going. So, so he started his own place of worship and his own priest system and just really got messed up. <clears throat> and so then eventually they turned into kings that weren't even descendants of Abraham. And uh, you had uh, this, the sons and daughters of Omri uh, being in charge of Israel. And you had people like Ahab and Jezebel. You talk about two horrible people. And that's, that's, who, that's what kind of <clears throat> leadership they had. And this kingdom of Israel really went south until the point where, oh, oh, by the way, the capital of Israel then, the northern kingdom, the ten tribes, was Samaria. And from there, we have the Samaritans in the New Testament. Well, what happened is, is the, the nation of Assyria came in and they conquered Israel, the northern kingdom. And they conquered them, pulled them out, and, and, and uh, assimilate, caused them to assimilate to the point where they literally were so um, mixed that they were called Samaritans. And eventually they were known as the lost tribes of Israel because they were so assimilated and so um, uh, mixed in their, in their uh, birth and marriages that they no longer could even prove that they were descendants of Abraham. This is why when you get to the New Testament, when Jesus is coming on the scene, this is why the Jews, and by the way, the word Jew comes from the southern kingdom, Judah. This is why the Jews are very impressed with themselves because they were able to still keep records of their lineage. You know, And so like Nicodemus, he comes to Jesus by night and he says, you know, we know you're a good teacher. And Jesus says, you must be born again. I'm a Pharisee. I'm a Jew. I'm a Pharisee that can prove. I mean, Paul said it in Philippians. I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I was from the tribe of Benjamin. Judah, Benjamin, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. That's the southern kingdom. Paul was saying, I was, you talk about being proud of your pedigree. Paul says, I could be proud of my pedigree because I was, I could, I could trace my lineage all the way back to Father Abraham. Those Samaritans, those, those northern kingdom people. The other name that they called Israel, and if you read this, you start to figure this out. You get into the book of Hosea and Ezekiel, and what they called the northern tribes, they, called, they started calling them Ephraim. That's what they started calling them. Another, another name for the northern tribes, the, the lost tribes of Israel, they referred to them as Ephraim. Now remember, what did Jacob say? He'll be a multitude of nations. The, um, the Hebrew underlying that, the Hebrew language that underlies our English, multitude of nations, multitude could be fullness, same word, and nations could be ethnos. Ethnicity, ethnos, multitude of ethno, or another word is Gentiles. <clears throat> because they can't prove their lineage anymore. They don't have a pure lineage. When Jesus comes on the scene, of course, the Jews are very proud of the fact that they can still prove their lineage. But the fact is, the 12 tribes have been have been divided and conquered and only two and a half are left. And after Jesus was crucified and rose again within by 70 AD the temple was destroyed and and uh, the entire Judaism system was destroyed so today when you hear people say Jews 
they don't even know who is a real Jew. But you know what I found in the book of Romans? I found that it says, it's not a Jew outwardly, it's a Jew inwardly. And um, <clears throat> when Jesus met Nathaniel, he said, behold, an Israelite indeed. What does he mean by indeed? He's not just an outward Jew, he's an inward Jew. He's a spiritual Jew. Romans chapter 9 says, they are not all Israel which are of Israel. In other words, just because you're physically born into something doesn't mean that you are counted that. Genesis chapter 3, talk, or excuse me, Galatians chapter 3 talks about they that are in Christ the same are the children of Abraham. So how do the Ephraimites, how does the lost tribe of Israel known as Ephraim, how do they get to come back into the fold through Jesus? And it's not by accident that Jacob is saying the angel that, that redeemed me, he's going to redeem them. And fruitful is going to be fruitful. Because there have been many Jews who could prove their lineage to Abraham that got saved. But there have been a lot more Gentiles that have gotten saved. Why? Because Ephraim would be a multitude of nations. Romans chapter 11 verse 25 says the fullness of of the Gentiles. And so that's how they're all, and Ezekiel is a place, and I know I'm getting deep, but I don't, I don't want to uh, stop without showing you this. Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel 37. This is all prophecy, but this is really cool when you think about the fact that Jacob somehow, through God, knew to say what he said about Ephraim. In Ezekiel 37 and verse 15, the word of the Lord came unto me saying, Moreover, thou son of man, take thee one stick and write upon it for Judah and for the children of Israel, his companions. So basically take one stick and write Judah or the southern kingdom, the one that stayed intact. And then take another stick and write upon it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim and for all the house of Israel, his companions. So there you have it. You can see how Ephraim is connected with Israel in the name. And so then it says in verse 17, and join them one to another into one stick and they shall become one in thine hand. And so basically what God is saying to, to Ezekiel is one day, not now, not in your lifetime, but one day, these two separate sticks that are broken are gonna be back together as one stick, as one tribe. And so when you get to Revelation and you see the 12 tribes of Israel and 144,000 all that, that's just God saying, I'm bringing them back together. And, and, and so um, the New Testament says not to pay attention to endless genealogies. And we shouldn't. When I was in Israel, I asked my tour guide and, and another man over there who said, he, he was an old guy, he called himself Ariel something or other, but he said, I'm really from Cleveland, Ohio, but I moved here years ago. And uh, he said, um, you know, I claim to be a Jew, blah, blah, blah. And I said, so, I asked him privately, I said, so can you prove your lineage to Abraham? He said, no, I've tried. He said, I don't even know. I'm like, okay. So then I asked my tour guide, who calls himself Aton. That's not his original name, but he calls himself Aton. I said, can you prove your lineage to Abraham? No. And I didn't ask because I didn't want to start a fist fight, but I wanted to say, so why is it your land? Right? I mean, if you can't even prove your lineage to Abraham, why is it your land? And, and can I tell you something? There's a whole bunch of real estate being fought about, and it's always in the news, and blah, blah, blah. 
and it's, it's being fought about over a physical argument. Just like Nicodemus thought he was something, just like Paul, Saul the Pharisee, thought he was something because of some physical lineage. And the Bible's telling us, <clears throat> you must be born again. Even if you can prove your lineage, you must be born. See, God's not racist. God's not prejudiced. God doesn't have uh, favorites like we do and we think of. God's not looking at skin color and ethnicity like we do. God's interested in the heart, all right? And that's why Galatians says, there is no more Jew nor Greek. There's no more bond or free. It's just all one in Christ, all right? I said a lot because this story ties into some really interesting things about prophecy. But let's go quickly to the third point. We'll be done. Jacob received God's peace. Remember the memory verse that Mrs. Spears quoted, the end of that man is peace. The righteous man, mark him, because the, his end is peace. Man, I want to die well. No matter how much I may have done in my lifetime, I will destroy it if I can't die well. I'll destroy my reputation if I don't die well. I want to die well. And Jacob, thankfully, he died well. All right? And so look at Genesis 49. Genesis 49. Jacob, yeah, there's a lot of stuff we just want to forget about. It's a little, little goofy. But Genesis 49 and verse 29. Now he's talking to all 12 of his sons, the whole family, all of them. And he says to them in Genesis 49, verse 29, he charged them and said unto them, I am to be gathered unto my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, which is before Mamre, in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field of Ephron the Hittite for a possession of a bearing place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife, my parents. And there I buried Leah. You know what I notice about Jacob? The end of his life. Guess who he has to be buried next to? Guess who he finally recognized was God's will? I think probably way back on that night when Laban pulled that switcheroo, I think something was saying, Jacob, I know this is what you planned. I know this doesn't seem fair. But I allowed it. You know why Jacob had two wives? Because Jacob decided to have two wives. He could have had one, right? He could have just said, all right, this is God's will. And in the end of his life, he tells his sons. Now, he knows where, where Rachel's buried. She's buried at Bethlehem. He already said that. But he said, you bury me with Leah. I think that's a demonstration of finally resolving and waving the white flag and saying, I'm at peace with what God was trying to do. Can I tell you something? Everybody in this room has to do that. We all have to resign our will and, and surrender and let God be God. And so when Jacob was dying, he leaned on his staff, blessed the sons of Joseph, gave the whole family the talk before he passed away. We should talk often about the coming of our Lord and the hope of his coming. We must also never fail to talk about the grace and the peace God gives to his own when they're dying. And I think his burial was a testimony to the whole family. He wasn't being unkind to Rachel. and I mean, Joseph, 
was his favorite son, but still, he, I think he was saying, I'm recognizing what God's will is here and what God's plan is. Every human being desires to die with peace and fulfilled purpose. Do you have peace and purpose that the Lord provides? Can you finally resign to what you've always wanted and let God have his way? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your, your word today. Thank you for opportunity to teach and preach and to study and to see things behind the scenes in these verses of Hebrews 11. And we thank you, Lord, that that you give opportunity for us to still die well. No matter how messed up we've made things, we can still die with honor and with with faith strong in you. Help us to be people who finish well and to be people who honor you with our lives and at the very end of our lives, we honor you and your will. Thank you for these testimonies, these examples. They're, they're teaching tools for us. And we thank you in Jesus' name, amen.